Section 13 of War Flying by a Pilot. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. War Flying by a Pilot by Lasselle Finer Hutchin. Book 2 On Active Service. Chapter 2 Part 4 night flying i had another twenty minutes night flying a couple of nights ago and did a good landing it was almost pitch dark as there was a long row of clouds at two thousand feet which hid the moon we had flares out and a searchlight lighting up the track but from the moment you start moving you go out into inky darkness flying on seeing nothing till the altimeter tells you that you are high enough to turn then round and the twinkling lights of the aerodrome beneath. Higher and gradually, as you become accustomed to the dark, you pick out a road here and a clump of trees there, till finally the picture is complete. At length you throttle down the engine and glide, keeping a watchful eye on the altimeter, aerodrome, and airspeed indicator. When about four hundred feet up, you open out your engine again and fly in toward the aerodrome, stopping your engine just outside. Then you glide down and land alongside the flares. As I write, I hear a lively bugle band in the distance on the march. More troops going up to the trenches, I suppose. Our gramophone still plays on, our gardens and flower beds are blooming, and all is well. Photos. Today I went up to take photos and went over the lines four times, carefully sighting the required trenches and taking eighteen photos. I spent nearly two and a half hours in the air, and when I got back, I found the string that worked the shutter had broken after my third photo, and the rest did not come out. It was disappointing because my last three journeys over the lines need not have been made and, incidentally, it would have saved getting a hole through one of my planes. Jay saw a scrap in the air today in which one of our machines was brought down. He was too far off to help. The report came in first that it was my bus which was down, but neither I nor my escort machine saw the fight, which must have been some distance off. Hide and Seek all goes well, and I have finished my job for today, a three hours patrol, without seeing a Hun or getting an Archie. Two of us went up, and F had streamers on his wings. He was going to direct the flight, and I was to follow him. It was very cloudy, and F, being in a skittish mood, played hide-and-seek round them. This was good fun for the first hour, but after that it became boring. Once, when I was following him a short distance behind, he ran slap into the middle of a huge cloud. I said to myself, "'If you think I'm going to follow you there, you're jolly well mistaken.' So I waited outside the cloud, and was gratified to see him come out at the bottom in a vertical bank about five hundred feet directly below me. It turned out that he had been pumping up the pressure in his petrol tank, roaring with laughter as his passenger gave a little jump at every pumpful for the passenger sits on one of the large petrol tanks which swells or unkinks itself as you pump, and to his disgust he had run slap into the cloud without seeing it. 
It was a wonderful sight among the clouds, and to see the other aeroplane dodging in and out of grottoes, canyons, and tunnels, poking its nose here and there, sometimes worrying a zigzag course through a maze of cloudlets, and sometimes turning back from an impenetrable part with a vertical bank, outlining the machine sharply against the cloud. Finally we came down to a height of five thousand feet, and there, just by the lines, we had a sham battle for the amusement of the Tommies in the trenches. I have nothing to write about this time. I got a letter from Bert the other day. He's out in France, and old George's group is called up, too. I wonder when those Saturday nights with them will come back. They were times. Then that supper with me and him at Eliza's after. My! Everyone thinks as how the war will be over with luck in a few years' time. Has Pa got that job, or is he still at the Green Man? Well, hoping this finds you as it leaves me at present, in the pink. I wish you'd send our cook the recipe for them cooked chips you used to do on Saturday nights. Give my love to Rose. No, I'm still sane, merely a temporary lapse owing to an overdose of censoring. The squadron yesterday, noticing that I was orderly officer, decided to give me a run for my money and wrote millions of letters. My flight commander, one of the finest fellows I have ever met, is busy cooking tobacco with E, in a tin, by means of a spirit lamp. They are trying to determine its flashpoint, and I have sent word round to the M.O. to stand by with stretches. I was up with K. yesterday, strafing some trenches. We started at three thousand feet, and the clouds descended lower and lower till we ended up at a height of twelve hundred feet over a well-known town, where it became too wet and too hot at the same time for our job. Today the clouds are crawling about just over the ground, so there is nothing doing. Our food here's English right enough. We get French bread as well, and it is generally preferred to ration bread. The gardens here have flowers, planted out mostly, pansies, nasturniums, etc. I suggested that asparagus would be rather a good thing to plant, but the idea didn't seem to catch on. There is no reason whatever to be worried about not receiving letters. If there is ever a move either way, it would not affect the RFC to any great extent. It couldn't improve German archie shooting or anything of that sort. No fighting on the ground can reach us, and in a big bombardment it only means that we are kept fairly busy directing the fire of our batteries, etc. 